1: Yes, I did that, and you would do it too, for a trade. Hey, What is this? A face? What is this?
2: A book? book? Oh my God! <gasps> Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And
0: I'm EJ Dixon.
2: So usually we try to keep this podcast on the lighter side of the internet, but this week we have to talk about something that is completely unavoidable if you've spent any time online. And that is the ongoing defamation trial between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Moments of which are going wildly viral on TikTok and Twitter, getting constant news update from every news app I have.
0: Before we talk about this, I also just want to make clear that I don't think any of us really wants to wade in on the respective guilt or innocence of either of these people regarding these allegations. We're just here to sort of unpack the messiness of what's unfolding right now on social media and like why it matters and also what people are getting wrong because people are getting a lot of stuff wrong.
2: So much wrong. And there's a huge problem with why we're getting all this information and what's happening with it. So just to recap the bare bones facts of this case, Amber and Johnny began dating in 2012. They got married in 2015 and divorced in 2016 amidst allegations of spousal abuse leveled by Amber against Johnny. Because Johnny was a pretty beloved figure, her career took a hit. And to be fair, his did, too. He was eventually replaced in the Fantastic Beast franchise in 2020 and dropped by Disney from the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which I don't care about. Honestly, I was done with that movie after the first one. I didn't even realize they were making
0: more films at any point. No one did accept nerds and losers, but that's okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so when they divorced, she filed for a restraining order and won. That order was later dropped when they reached a settlement for $7 million, which Amber said she donated to charity. She also reportedly signed a non-disparagement agreement so she wouldn't say anything bad publicly about Johnny, which she technically abided in 2018 when she wrote a Washington Post op-ed about coming forward as a domestic abuse survivor and the shame and stigma involved. She didn't name him in the piece, but but it was obvious she was referring to Depp and Depp is currently suing her for $50 million for defamation and alleging that she abused him. She has been caught on tape on at least one occasion admitting to this and she is counter suing him for defamation as well, but that case hasn't been heard yet. So for everyone who's been kind of confused about this general case, this is a defamation trial that's happening. This isn't a trial about their divorce. I mean, it's technically a trial about abuse, but this is not a trial that's kind of hinging on this. It is about defamation, which is, I think a lot of people don't realize that this is what the trial is actually happening.
0: And there has been a previous libel trial before regarding these allegations, which is something that none, like very few of the true crime live streamers and TikTokers covering this case have noted. If you want to take us through that, Brittany, and what the outcome was there.
2: Yeah, so the separate libel case was in the UK and a judge ruled that 12 out of the 14 allegations of physical assault hurt had made met the standard of proof. So- By a court of law in the UK, Depp was ruled to have abused Amber Heard. So the court had determined that these allegations were credible, even if she personally hasn't come off great in this current trial. So it's all over. There's a ton of discourse over TikTok, over Twitter. I mean, I constantly I have like burner accounts for different things. And like I have like constant sort of the actors, whatever, promoted kind of tweets or whatever are always like Johnny Depp or like there's like legal promoted tweets and they're always about the trial. And all of the content that I've seen, especially on my TikTok for you page, which again, like I wasn't looking up anything about this case before. I wasn't looking up anything about Johnny Depp or Amber Heard before. And all the content is very pro Johnny. I don't think any people are getting content really being promoted to them with like 50,000 likes on it. That's pro Amber, but a lot of the content is going towards in favor of Johnny Depp. The hashtag
0: Justice for Johnny Depp currently has 6.6 billion views on TikTok. And you keep seeing like hashtags like Amber Turd and hashtag Amber Heard is a liar. They're always trending on Twitter like throughout the past few weeks.
2: And the content itself is fascinating because Not only is it coming from people are hardcore Johnny Depp stands, but they're making memes out of this trial, out of moments from the trial. They're putting like the pirates score that everyone knows underneath. Anything that Johnny Depp says instantly is like, oh my God, how iconic is it that he like said this shady thing about Amber, blah, blah, blah. Like, look at her look so just like guilty in her little seat. Like, you know, it's just like stuff like that where it's kind of, I don't know, it's just a really gross way of covering a really intense case. So
1: drinking. You were drinking pretty heavily. Were you there?
2: They're also selling Etsy merch
0: and making like tons of money, like hundreds of dollars off Johnny Depp stickers and t-shirts, as I reported in my latest story on this. As Brittany said, there is some public support for Amber from but largely from like her own Stan accounts but it's significantly significantly less than the support for Johnny Depp and there's all this humiliating stuff that's come out of about their relationship like Depp is alleging that she pooped on his bed after an argument and blamed it on the dog hence the hashtag Amber Turd there's allegations that she may have cheated on Depp with James Franco and James Franco is apparently going to be on the stand soon I believe for this oh no he's not neither her ex Elon. Elon Musk or James Franco are testifying. Yeah, they both got out of it. They very smartly got out of this shit show.
2: The big story, by the way, that a lot of people have learned for the first time through this that like I've always thought is completely it's just like one of those like celebrity things where you're just like, I'm worse for knowing this. But like apparently it was Elon Musk, Amber Heard and Cara Delevingne had a threesome in the apartment, which I love seeing people learn about for the first time because they're chilled to the bone by that full concept as I was the first time I learned about that.
0: And what I think is so fucked up about this is that there's all this humiliating shit coming out about Amber Heard and there are also all these personal details coming out about Johnny Depp, about his substance abuse addiction and his struggles with drug and alcohol use. But people are really using that as like a teachable mental health moment. Look, men can struggle too. Men can be vulnerable too. Whereas that is not at all happening with Amber Heard, particularly in this is the most offensive moment of the trial for me, is how her mental health has been weaponized against her. So Brought in this expert witness who's a psychiatrist, Dr. Shannon Curry, who has very Stephanie March vibes, like Stephanie March, Attorney General, ADA Alexandra Cabot in SVU. And she testified based on meeting Amber twice that Amber had borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. And I want to explain something about both of these diagnoses that nobody is really talking about. First of all, lots of people don't even think that narcissistic personality disorder is a legitimate diagnosis. There's a lot of controversy about personality disorder diagnoses in general. And borderline personality disorder specifically is a real mental health condition. And it's often weaponized against women in particular for two reasons. Because A, as Curry mistakenly stated, there's this idea that BPD is linked to lying and deceit, which it is not. B, she also implies that women with BPD are more likely to perpetuate intimate partner violence. And I was very curious about this because I was like, that doesn't really sound right. So I looked it up and I actually found studies saying that they're more likely to be victims of intimate partner violence, which she does say, but she kind of glosses over just in her quest to sort of portray Amber Heard as this wildly unstable, violent individual. Now, I don't really fault Dr. Curry for this because that's what an expert witness does. Like they are hired by a certain side in a case to present a certain perspective, but I am really concerned, honestly, about what impact that her testimony and also just this general trial and the coverage of it is going to have on women with mental illness, women who have survived intimate partner violence. Like, I feel like there is a huge chance that people are going to be discouraged from reporting violence because they see the tremendous backlash that Amber Heard has gotten.
2: Yeah. And even like brands have rallied against Amber the Milani Cosmetics they had posted basically pointing out that the palette the makeup palette that she had said that she had used to cover bruises and scars from abuse she had gotten from Johnny but that palette actually came a year after their divorce so it's just like a weird and like they made like a very sort of like lighthearted TikTok about it which is a very strange way to respond to, again, a trial that is hinging on allegations of abuse and of a very toxic relationship and a very strange way to insert yourself into a narrative that, Honestly, none of us should be watching live. Like don't know us should be seeing any of this, but we are. And I mean, I think people have been really confused too as to why they are seeing so much about it beyond of course brands weighing in and everything else. But EJ and I have been talking about like why was our algorithm bringing us here? Like we were not actively searching for these things. Like our algorithm was feeding us all this information constantly. Like I have learned so much about the trial without even having to look up anything about the trial. And of course have-
0: Oh, yeah. I wasn't actively searching this information for a very long time. It was just coming up on my algorithm. And there's this one video in particular that I think has like something like 4.4 million likes that I will link to in the show notes. But it's basically a moment of testimony where Johnny Depp fat shames Amber Heard on the stand. Like the cross-examining attorney is like, you're much bigger than Heard, aren't you? And he's like, oh, I wouldn't say that.
1: You're a lot bigger than Amber, correct? Physically? I wouldn't say that
0: but that has 4.4 million views. Like why is the algorithm surfacing this content that is so offensive on multiple levels?
1: And
2: I have a lot of theories about why we're getting this content. I think also a lot of, because he does have a huge fandom and it had a huge fandom, no matter what. Like he's again, an actor that's been around for decades. He has Disney ties, Tim Burton ties, Harry Potter ties. Like those are all huge fandoms in and of themselves. But Johnny Depp as a figure is like very romanticized, very much, there's a lot of nostalgia him, there's a lot of love for him. He's oh, tied... I was a
0: huge fan.
2: I mean, like, everyone grew up with his movies, everyone has very specific relationships with all different aspects of his career. Like, he's definitely one of the most recognizable actors, one of those name brand actors to have ever lived. Like, he's just like someone who everyone has some sort of weird relationship with. So, of course, he's already had like a huge fandom, but of course, the fans who feel very passionately about this case and have taken it into their own hands to publicize their their take on it the very subjective analysis of these things have weaponized that so if you're getting on your For You page, your algorithm is either tied to true crime or you've gotten Harry Potter content, you've gotten Disney content, you've gotten 90s nostalgia content, you've gotten sort of like, even like his relationship with Winona Ryder, like that being sort of that kind of Hollywood romance nostalgia that comes up a lot or actors that were really hot when they were young and people thirsting over them. Like, if you've gotten any of that content, you're more than likely to have been drawn into this just circus, this kind of courtroom circus and like having to watch all these videos because these are hashtags that are being used. And again, like the pirate's music or like stuff like that is being a part of it because that's part of the allure of Johnny Depp. And so if you've gotten any of that content, you more than likely have been drawn into seeing one of these. And of course a lot of this information is misinformation. And this is of course not uncommon for especially male figures. Chris Brown and Marilyn Manson very famously have huge fandoms that have rallied behind them, even though they have been accused or proven to perform heinous acts by their exes and have been protected and supported by thousands of very curiously passionate and defensive fans who dox and bully journalists or celebrities or really anyone who has dared to point out these facts. And especially the women who have come forward very bravely to talk about their experiences and of course this is why depth fans have been no different but maybe even more extreme and I think have also led to energizing I think a lot of how I'm worried that they're going to energize the way that a lot of the sort of more monstrous people engage with their fandom and also public sentiment towards them. But it's just all really messy.
0: I think it's going to do tremendous damage to the Me Too movement, obviously. Like, regardless of whether she's telling the truth or not. And again, I don't really think it's in anybody's best interest except for a jury to determine that. I honestly don't know. My impression, we said we were going to leave our subjective opinions out of this. I obviously, like, we obviously can't do that. Like, we lied. We're going to do that here, I guess.
2: (laughs) We've been forced to learn everything about this. So that's how it happens. Happens.
0: Yes, because of you, not because of anything we wanted to do. <laughs> but I mean, my opinion, uh, like just in observing this trial unfold is that it, they both are fucking toxic people
2: (laughs) oh yeah they both are very clearly toxic both clearly had a lot of things to work through even prior to the relationship and just were not good to each other I mean there are audio recordings and text messages of both of them being completely awful to and about each other like that's very clear like that's easy evidence that has been widely circulated for years now
0: yeah Johnny Depp sent Paul Bettany a text that about like fucking Amber Heard's like burnt corpse or something like I understand like you're going through an extremely public And contentious split, and it's very high profile, and you have a lot of animosity towards this person. But, like, based on that alone, that piece of evidence alone, I do not understand the widespread adulation for this man. And honestly, when I watch his testimony, people always talk about how charismatic he seems and like how cool he comes off, and like, underscore it with the Pirates music. He comes off to me like a guy who has been famous for 35, 40 years and has never faced accountability for anything and expects that that will be the case now, expects that he'll be completely vindicated and is confident in that outcome. And I think he honestly should be confident in that outcome because I think his career is going to be just fine.
2: I mean, I think again, to the point of like how this is going to affect the Me Too movement and future cases like these, especially ones that have men who have very passionate fandoms around them, again, like Marilyn Manson, very recently in the midst of all of this has launched his own defamation suit against Evan Rachel Wood, who again is someone who had come forward and alleged very serious and violent abuse on part of, of Marilyn Manson doing against her. So and Marilyn Manson has, denied all the allegations that Evan Rachel Wood has said. That is another turn of this that I think also because of his own fandom will become its own circus in a lot of ways and that we will probably also be fed repeatedly on all of our algorithms.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably going to set a precedent. I think you're absolutely right. It's going to set a precedent for other
2: famous men who
0: have been accused of similar things for sure. And again, like the guilt or innocence of either of these parties, it's not what's at issue here. It's the cultural precedent this is going to set for abuse cases and victims going forward. Like to me, that is the most horrifying part of watching all of this unfold. Let's move on to something fun. Straight people. Which is a combo, a straight people slash moral panic of the week. These are our two of our most critically acclaimed segments. So I'm excited <laughs> to smush them
2: together. We've acclaimed them. We are the critics
0: Multiple Peabodys. I don't know what a Peabody is, but we've won multiple Peabodys.
2: I actually don't know either, but I cited a lot. Lily Tomlin has two because I recently watched a video of Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda talking about their awards. And she said,
0: I've won two Peabodys. And Jane Fonda kind of looked the other way.
2: (laughs) Jane Fonda has won multiple Oscars. It was a very good video, unrelated to what we're talking about now, but I just need to share it.
0: So, much like Lily Tomlin, we have won Peabodys for these segments. So, on this segment, we're going to feature a couple we've talked about. Many times on the pod before Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, who exemplify, I think we can all agree, much of the worst and best traits of straight culture.
2: I just want to say, like, the thing is, I'm generally rooting for them. Like, I am genuinely like I I love them as a couple. I support them. I support their weird hot topic love. I'm just tired of them. Like... I'm just exhausted. I know. I
0: know you're over them. You didn't want to talk about them this
2: week. Every single time Megan Fox opens her mouth, I'm just like, anything but this. Yeah, they're overexposed. I get it. I- and I love Megan Fox. I hate being mad when Megan Fox talks because she's so cool. But now it's just the things that I have to learn are so gross.
0: And I sort of think, but they kind of like may forced our hand here. Like they kind of forced us to talk about them this week. Constantly. Yeah, they do it every week. You could you can make the same argument every week. Maybe we should issue an oratorium on MGK MF content. We won't um,
2: talk about them until they get married and or have a child.
0: Or one of them tattoos the names of their kids on the other ones body like pete davidson just said this uh, week
2: you know that's already happened we that's we're not using that one yeah we probably just don't know about it but anyway
0: <laughs> the reason why we're talking about mf and mgk this week is because she did an interview with glamour uk where honestly she said a lot of interesting things like she's i love hearing her talk like she's so smart she talks she's about, a like,
2: great interview I, she's, she's wonderful
0: fabulous fabulous interview she talked about her gender non-conforming son she talked about her calling out michael bay that led the charge on me too which is something we've talked about about a lot on here but the main thing she got attention for is a quote she gave on how she participates in a quote-unquote blood drinking ritual with mgk
2: so nasty it's just a few drops but
0: yes we do consume each other's blood on occasion for ritual purposes only (laughs) it is used for a reason and it is controlled where it's like let's
2: shed a few drops of blood and each drink it
0: but okay but first of all I just want to say like I think she's lying I don't think she does this right
2: I don't know I kind of believe that they do
0: why why do you believe have you ever been in a heterosexual relationship where you've been sitting around eating pizza like and farting around and being like hey let's drink each other's blood
2: no but I'm not like hot topic core anymore I'm sure it's something I would have done when I was like 15 when I was hot topic core but they're hot topic core
0: I mean I'll tell you one thing when i was 15 i would have done it for attention i'll tell you that yeah. much for free
2: they're dating like 15 year olds like i don't that's think true. there's any
0: i would have gone on myspace and been like "Ooh, ooh just like just drank my bf's blood for attention and then i would have put up a, like a black and white selfie of us in bed and my mom would have called me yelling at me to put it down
2: it's especially because she gives details to it right like she's like it's only a few drops that they do in," like that's like a ritual and the thing is with megan is that i do believe she does practice witchcraft very regularly this is a part of her life like she is like very into the supernatural she's been very very clear about that and that is like if you do certain pagan rituals that is part of it like doing like a few drops of human blood which is like it's not for me personally but like people do it
0: okay i mean i appreciate your efforts to normalize blood drinking rituals but
2: i've watched a lot Of vampire documentaries, like real-life vampire documentaries, because I was really into Twilight. And I find it fascinating. I've watched a lot of them, more than a person should. But anyway, people do this.
0: Okay, see, this is the information that you can bring to the table that I simply cannot.
2: Yeah, History Channel had a really great one about vampires in the 90s. Gotta say, shout out to that.
0: Well, if this was intended for attention, regardless of whether they actually do it or not, it worked because the right blew up about it. And networks like OAN started talking about how Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly were trying to groom children into drinking each other's blood and doing all these satanic rites, which like I just feel like that would be a very difficult thing to accomplish because like I can't groom my child into eating meatballs like he's disgusted I can't groom him into taking a shower so I don't know how Megan is expecting to get like millions of America's children to engage in blood drinking rights (laughs) that seems
2: unrealistic yeah I don't I don't think that that's what's going on I think that they're just doing their little witchy Stupid things.
0: Yeah, I mean, who the fuck cares? Like if this is actually what they want to do with their time, like who the fuck cares? They didn't bring children into it. This is just like the right shitting their diapers. Once again, over something completely unsubstantiated
1: out in the open, tell you what they do, what they practice their rituals. And they have literally the ability to manipulate the minds of an entire generation and the youth as they watch this. This is what you begin to see in a society.
0: It's all very reminiscent of QAnon, which in itself is reminiscent of centuries-old blood libel anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about Jews harvesting the blood of Christian children and baking it into crackers or using it for rituals. Are you familiar with this, Brittany?
2: Have you heard of this? I am not. I am not. (laughs) No, it's too busy watching vampire documentaries to (laughs) hear about this.
0: I like doing the whole Jay Leno. Have you heard about this? Is this this, this something that's come up on (laughs) Twitter? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, personally, like I've never done this. I don't like see much. I like I'm a Jewish woman. Like I don't see much benefit to it, honestly. Like for starters, I don't bake. <laughs> To quote Cardi B, I don't cook, I don't clean. And I do not bake. And I also don't, frankly, like, know that many Christian children because we live in Fort Greene. I was a Christian child. <laughs> I kind of want to say what I would immediately popped into my mind. <laughs>
2: as a, as a <laughs> former Christian child, I was not <laughs> baked into a cracker.
0: Right. Like you went to Catholic school. Did you ever experience like bands of Jews roving around trying to bake your blood into a cracker? Is this something?
2: Nope. Just just getting lightheaded at pro-life rallies that I was forced to go to.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't think this is like a trend, the blood rituals, like by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a slow week for both straight people and moral panic news. So I get what OAM was trying to do here. I'm sure a bunch of boomers on the verge of death in a condo in Myrtle Beach were freaking out when they saw it on TV. So mission accomplished, I
2: guess. Did you see the newest Megan and MGK quote. Was it that she manifested him? Yeah, where she was like, when I was four years old, I manifested him and he's four years younger than me, which honestly, probably.
0: So she manifested that she would marry a fetus. That's what she manifested? No, uh,
2: EJ. What
0: was she saying? I don't understand.
2: No, she was like, he's like the exact type that she always wanted to be with. And so when she was four, she had, like, (laughs) imagined her dream man and then MGK, who, I don't know, not mine. Mine, when I was four, was a cartoon character. So,
0: yeah, she always wanted to marry a lanky and anemic hot topic, bro. That's what she always wanted when she Uh, was four. Probably. Probably.
2: okay. Yeah. If mine comes true, then I'm marrying the cartoon prince from The Swan Princess. Oh, God, that guy was so hot. He was so hot. Oh, my God. You just brought me back. I was trying to get my legal name changed to Brittany the Swan Princess Odette for a good few months of my life.
0: I guess if I manifested the guy that I wanted to marry when I was four, it would be Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Which I basically did, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> my husband is not that far off, to be perfectly yeah. frank. So yeah, I guess good for her.
2: I mean, I'm not married to a cartoon yet, so it'll happen. Thank you. Thank you for believing in me. I do. <laughs> So EJ and I have made no attempt to feel shame for our theater kid past. So we ended up talking about a lot of theater-centric stories on here. And we decided to turn this into a regular segment called Theater Kid Bullshit, where we discuss dumb updates in the land of Theater Kid interests, which we have many. So, if you've been listening from the beginning of this podcast, first off, thank you so much. Well, but second, you may recall we talked about the glee comeback for Gen Z in one of our earliest episodes. Leah Michelle, the disgraced star of the God Awful show, has also come up quite a bit for us. But now we must discuss her in more detail, for I'm afraid that Leah Michelle may be getting primed for a comeback against our collective will. So, <laughs> EJ has her own feelings about this.
0: Well, I don't want you to manifest this into existence.
2: I'm not Megan Fox. I'm not four years old. I'm not manifesting anything. I'm just stating what we're seeing right now. Yeah, which I know, is okay. confusing.
0: Lay out the evidence.
2: OK, so last week we entered the eye of Hurricane Leah and you may have noticed an uptick in new stories on her. And many of them were things that you may not have wanted to learn. Each headline was more cursed than the last. Each quote, a true nightmare of TMI. You may have learned against your will that she had shown Jonathan Groff, a gay man, her whole vagina and even gave him a guided tour non-sexual you may have also seen that she has offered up her uterus to groff because she like loved being pregnant so much she has offered to like carry his children bullshit he gave a very tepid response thanks leah Th- <laughs> <laughs> thanks bestie <laughs> so when i said these to ej she did not know why this was happening but i knew why this was happening because i was a huge spring awakening fan and there is a documentary coming out about spring awakening the musical about repressed german teens that kickstarted leah and jonathan groff's careers So the original cast reunited for a one night only concert and now are on a press blitz promoting the HBO film, which comes out this week. And Spring Awakening is pretty beloved. There's a huge fandom around it. I was a big fan during the Tumblr era. And so I would watch like bootleg performances on Tumblr of it. And that cast also, many of them went on to have great careers, including EJ's ex, Skylar Astin. Okay.
0: (laughs) He's not my ex. He's your ex. We did not date. We... Hooked up in a Honda Civic, in his Honda Civic, like 15 years ago, and I went to theater camp with him. I'm fine saying this because like, there's no fucking way he would ever. And even if he did, like, what's he gonna, what's he gonna say? Like, this didn't happen. Yes, it happened. Like, we hooked up in a Honda Civic on 74th in Columbus, <laughs> 15 years ago. And the last I heard from him, he slid into my Facebook DMs at 4 a.m. when he was clearly <laughs> drunk, like six years ago. And that is not a relationship. He is not my ex.
2: Wouldn't it be funny if there was like a Broadway revival of Mary Poppins and Skylar Aston played Don't the Dyke? Don't fucking say thing. that. Don't
0: fucking say that for a second. Oh my God. Oh my be God.
2: Kind of hilarious. Oh, That's that would
0: be such a nightmare for me, Britney. Stop.
2: <laughs> it would maybe happen.
0: I know. It would be really good casting. He's pretty talented.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it also Spring Awakening also had my forever crush, John Gallagher Jr., who I've stalked at Rockwood. Used to call many times, but we don't have to talk about how many times.
0: How many? How many times? I think we should talk about it. (laughs) We don't need to
2: put a number on it. Anyway, so Leah's name wasn't just thrown around online last week because of her vagina stories. Reviews for the Funny Girl revival starring Beanie Feldstein also dropped, and poor Beanie was dutifully panned by nearly every reviewer. And what does this have to do with Leah? Well, many moons ago, at the height of Gleek fever, Gleek creator Ryan Murphy had bought the rights to Funny Girl and was determined to produce a revival starring none other than Barbra Streisand devotee leah michelle for reasons no one quite understands his production of it never moved forward but that didn't stop glee from using nearly every song from the soundtrack though i must say i'm a pretty big fan of leah's rendition of my man but i'm also a recovering gleek so that's my own problem
0: for whatever my man is
2: i am his forever And the Funny Girl reviews led to mini jokes like this one, which references my favorite conspiracy theory.
0: Stop talking about how happy Leah Michelle must be now that the reviews of Funny Girl came out and
2: they're all bad. I mean, Leah Michelle hasn't read those reviews. Leah Michelle can't read. Or this one, which is now a new favorite conspiracy theory.
1: I have absolutely no proof of this, but I'm almost 100% convinced that the Broadway revival of Funny Girl starring Beanie Feldstein is a mastermind plot conceived by Ryan Murphy to create a redemption arc for Leah Michelle. He said, hmm, let me sacrifice somebody everybody loves for somebody everyone hates.
2: So whether or not you like her, which more often than not, people don't, it's clearly has been on people's minds a lot lately. Archival Glee footage is gained a lot of airtime thanks to the girl from Plainville, Hulu's dramatization of the texting suicide case. Michelle Carter, the girl who may have convinced her boyfriend Conrad to kill himself via text, was a huge fan of the show. And for those unfamiliar with the case, her clear obsession with the series and Leah Michelle in particular has been a surprising piece of weird information.
0: Yeah, just to clarify what she did, Brittany, I loved when you texted me about about this because I had seen the documentary about this and I was like oh my god you didn't know that like as a geek <laughs> I would I assumed you would know that what she did was apparent she like mimicked a speech that Leah Michelle gave in the episode about Corey Montieth's death, right? Like in her online posts about her boyfriend's death.
2: Yeah. So she was really particularly obsessed with the real life and therefore like mimicking real life fictional story of Leah Michelle and Corey Montiath. And Cory Montieth had tragically overdosed, died really young, was Leah Michelle's real life boyfriend. And they played a couple on Glee as well. So they had to do an arc on the show about her losing her boyfriend, Finn played by Corey. So she was sort of like absorbing that and like making it part of her own grief, but also like a way to like frame her own people's fascination with her. It's weird. There's a lot of glee in there in the first few episodes. A lot of glee.
0: It makes sense that a sociopath would be addicted to glee. I I mean, no offense to you, but like it makes a lot of sense to me. I
2: just, some of us just couldn't help it. Came out at the right time. It debuted my senior year of high school. I was in theater and it felt like I was watching a documentary about my life. And then the show turned into the worst thing I've ever watched in my entire life. So here we are. But on top of all this, there's also the recent controversy around the film adaptation of Wicked being split into two movies, which I'm personally not thrilled about and most people are not thrilled about. But Wicked once was rumored to star Leah, though it eventually cast Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo as Glinda and Elphaba, respectively. It's another role that slipped through Leah's fingers years before she was even fully canceled for her horrific treatment and racist onset behavior, especially aimed at co-stars like Amber Riley, Samantha Marie Ware, who was the one who very famously sort of outed a lot of this behavior during the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 and the late Naira Vera, who had sort of detailed a little bit of it in her memoir. So it's clear that there's a Glee curse, but it seems like the bad vibes have spread to any project Leah even remotely touched. So how do
0: you feel about her potential comeback? Because I feel like this documentary is like really priming her for it.
2: Leah should have stayed in theater, but she got too big for her britches and thought that, like, TV and film was where she needed to go. And I feel like she did too much TV and film.
0: What, you weren't blown away by her performance as the uh, homely girl Ashton Kutcher hooks up with in New Year's Day?
2: <laughs> no. And also, she did, plays a similar character in Scream Queens, too, where she's, like, the, like, nerdy girl that's trying to infiltrate the, like, mean girl squad. Ryan Murphy honestly gave her too much power.
0: Yeah, but he do- I mean, he does that to everybody.
2: Yeah, and I think, like, the thing is that if this were a decade ago... I would have been really excited about Leah Michelle Funny Girl Revival. She's a good vocalist.
0: She's very talented, but like, I guess this is all alleged because I don't know this for a fact. But as somebody who was sort of came of age when Spring Awakening yeah. was like really getting big and was a theater kid around that time and grew up in New York, like there was always this rumor circulating that Leah Michelle was a mean girl and that she put up a cast list backstage to who was invited to her sleepover parties. Again, allegedly. But that, fucked me up. Like that is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard.
2: Did your ex Skylar Aston tell you that? No, he did not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Our brief affair
2: or whatever had long flamed out at at that point. He could have been a pitch
0: perfect wife. I could have been a pitch perfect wife. That's true. (laughs) Although that didn't turn out well for Anna Camp. I'm in a uh, group thread for my theater camp, like most of whom have hooked up with Skylar, like at various points. And we're constantly slacking each other, dating like breakup rumors And, like, dating rumors and, like, we're not, like, it's not surprising at all.
2: I have seen him on Raya. You
0: have? You've seen him? He's one of the people that you've seen on Raya?
2: Yeah. I did delete my Raya account because I didn't want to spend Raya money anymore. But... I did see him on Raya.
0: That's a huge development that you deleted your Raya account.
2: It was, it's just like too much money to what keep seeing Owen Wilson and not match with him. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna spend $15 a month to be baited with Sam Claflin and we don't match. Like, I'm good.
0: Okay, but why would you wanna match with like a notoriously bad bicyclist?
2: I wanna match with a celebrity. That's why I was on Raya. I don't wanna match with a normie creative director. Disgusting. Yeah. I could find that on Tinder. And that's free. I get that. So, but I did see Skylar Aston. Tell him I say. Hi, I don't know. <laughs> we could have both hooked up with Skylar Aston, but it didn't happen. I didn't go to theater camp with him.
0: Let's move on to another individual that you may see on a different part of Raya. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's introduce our guest this week. We delved into the realm of politics this week, but like, what's the podcast for nerds? Pod Save America.
2: You know, I'm famously out of the loop on what's going on generally outside of TikTok. So.
0: Yeah. So delving into unfamiliar territory here, we're pulling a pod save America. So we have a political candidate on this week because recently there's been this trend of candidates trying to rouse up voters on youth oriented platforms like TikTok to varying degrees of success. The Biden administration and the Jonas Brothers did a famously cringe White House collab that almost ended Britney's life.
2: (laughs) She hated it. I certainly did. I found it a little
0: charming. But there was also like the socialist trucker who ran for Congress in Washington state who was big on TikTok. He was like 26 years old. But one person who is betting that the platform will translate into votes is Alex Walker. And he's come up with a rather unorthodox strategy for how to do it. He's a 31 year old mechanical engineer from Stanford. He's openly gay. He's running as the Democratic candidate against Representative Lauren Boebert, who is the very famously hate filled batshit crazy gun rights advocate and QAnon supporter. She's Currently the U.S. representative for Colorado's third congressional district. She's the woman that you think of who isn't Marjorie Taylor Greene who's crazy in Congress. Like you're either talking about one of those two women if you're talking about that bucket. Walker is in many ways quite liberal. He's an out gay man who supports abortion rights. He doesn't actively deny the concept of climate change. But his strategy appears to be to alienate progressive Democrats as evidenced by a couple TikTok videos of his that recently went viral.
1: I love when people are like, You have a moderate policy? You lost my vote. Oh, what well, thought was that? Was that the vote you were going to give to some Bernie wannabe whose overkill policies are unpopular with 75% of voters just so you could feel good about yourself until they lose the general election, at which point you'll point your finger and blame someone else? That vote? Oh, honey, your vote got lost a long time ago. Democrats need to wake up!
0: Walker was pretty roasted by progressives for his condescending tone, but it worked Question mark. His TikToks have gotten hundreds of thousands of views and attracted the attention of the Washington Post, which ran a story about him with the headline, Can Getting Dunked On Online Win an Election? And Brittany and I wanted to know the answer to that question. So we decided to have him on the pod this week.
2: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. So what brought you into this race and into politics in general?
1: I have never wanted to get into politics. I think it's sort of a backwater. And I feel like my first introduction to public service was 9-11, which is not a great way to get acquainted with any of this. I'm quite a cynic. And so the way I got involved was watching january 6th and just wondering like what the hell was going on and how we were in this situation to begin with and then i just started doing a, lo- a little bit of research and backslid into running for congress against one of the most hated gop lynchpins in america
0: what were you doing prior to this
1: so i studied mechanical engineering at stanford and then worked as an engineer for eight years so first i did mechanical engineering then i did some software engineering and then i was doing like building businesses and managing teams of engineers for several years. And I did that in the U S and then abroad for tears.
0: So it's quite a departure going from engineering to politics.
1: No, seriously, like I have never done anything with the intention of teeing up a political career. This is my home. Seeing it depicted in this light and being associated with what this person stands for and just general, honestly, having like a bit of millennial malaise and feeling guilty about that and feeling guilty about how ambivalent I'd been for such a long time. I think it was sort of a crisis of conscience that led me into this.
2: How did you decide to use TikTok as part of your campaign strategy?
1: Oh, man man, I hate social media. I got off social media five years ago just for mental health and didn't pick any of it back up until like the week before we launched. And so I had no idea that TikTok would be the one to pick up steam first, but it's been a very supportive community, honestly. Like, I think the reason I've decided to keep going with it is because there's a positivity on TikTok, which I think has fled some of the other platforms. I get far fewer trolls harassing me on TikTok than anywhere else. And it's just a great format.
0: It's interesting that you say TikTok is a positive platform because we read the Washington Post piece about you. And I think the headline is can getting dunked on online win an election or or something in that vein. And we'll get to that. We'll get to like the criticism. But you said in that piece, like I could easily go on Twitter and tell everyone what they want to hear and raise money and get support from them. But I have something more valuable. Can you like detail your platform a little bit and what makes you more valuable in this race?
1: Yeah. So I don't think Democrats are playing to win right now. I think we are playing like we have something to lose. And in fact, we're already losing. And what frustrates me about the way Democrats communicate with voters is that it's sanctimonious and it's it. We're right. Right. Like we in a, in a way, we have a right to be righteous because we are correct on a lot of the issues. And 65 percent of Americans agree with us on that. And yet we kind of lose people, frankly, like the ones in my district who are hard working class folks, because we come across as like, so on our high horse. And the irony to me of the Twitter pushback on that video I posted is that people were like, you're condescending, you're talking down to us. And in fact, I'm like, no, 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 I'm talking this way because I respect you. And I'm not going to lie to you the same way every other politician, it feels like has lied to us for the past, like X number of years. And Twitter is weird to me. Twitter is almost, Twitter runs on rage in a way that I am unfamiliar with. And most of the blowback I got that led to that Washington Post article was on Twitter, not TikTok. But it was somebody who had like reposted something I would posted on on TikTok onto Twitter.
2: And it's interesting because I feel like the, a lot of the language that you have used on TikTok and Twitter are kind of these like far right buzzwords almost, like woke Twitter liberals and corrupt big tech. Are you in some way trying to woo the Republican base of your district or?
1: Well, there's two questions in there. First of all, yeah, absolutely. We're trying to play to the middle in this race because that's just how the math works in my favor. And polling actually, this is incredible, but polling shows me with a path to beat her because of the fact that, that moderate Republicans in this district who tend to be a little older, by the way, like me way more than they like her. And while that doesn't necessarily mean they would flip to vote for a Democrat, because like that's basically unheard of in today's day and age, it is enough to make them not vote for her, which matters. So that is one part of the campaign is for sure figuring out how to appeal to that centrist in my district. However, that centrist is not on Twitter. That centrist is not on TikTok. And so these are two different things. And the reason I use phrases like that on social media is not to be considered like a Republican sympathizer because I'm not, it's actually just because I don't think Republicans are wrong about everything. Like, I think they are wrong to be inhumane dickheads, but I don't think they're wrong to say that like Twitter has a very reactive, harsh tone towards anybody who tries to call anybody else out for something. It's just, like, I'm scared of being canceled, and I'm like, I shouldn't be a cancelable person. I'm a 31-year-old gay engineer running in a blood-red district, and yet, like, if I speak in anything but the most delicate of tones, Twitter just, like, comes for me and tries to grind my bones down in a food processor. And to me, that is a valid point that Republicans have. Like, it is a valid point that free speech feels a little bit arbitrary on Twitter sometimes. Now, I don't agree that Republicans want to use that free speech argument to advance their own hateful Naziist propaganda, but I think it is possible for Democrats to weaponize some of these same truths for justice and for progress as opposed to doing what the right does, which is weaponizing those terms for regression.
0: I mean, I don't think me and Brittany would disagree with your contention because we talk about it all the time that Twitter and TikTok are incredibly reactive a lot of the time. TikTok even more so in a lot of ways. But I think that using the phrases like woke Twitter liberals or corrupt big tech, I think that sends a different message than just saying, oh, Twitter is really reactive just by using those specific phrases. So like what makes you think that people who are opposed to wokeness or big tech or a lot of the other culture war stuff that you talk about wouldn't just vote for a Republican who's more hardcore on this stuff than you are?
1: Oh, interesting. Well, first of all, implied in this question is like, well, why don't you just say things that aren't quite so polarized or electrifying or whatever. And the fact is I've I've tried. The beauty of TikTok and Twitter to me is that you can test messaging and get responses pretty quickly. And when I speak in these sort of dull tones, which are quite reasonable and placid, people are like, they just don't care. And so then the question becomes, would you rather have a good but imperfect message heard or a perfect message not heard? And to me, I would so much rather be heard and be dragged for something that I think is fundamentally true. But getting to your question of like, why wouldn't a voter just vote for somebody who's more gung-ho on this stuff? I don't really think that's on the ballot. I don't think like Twitter's wokeness or like even cancel culture, like these things are not on the ballot. Human rights are on the ballot. The fight for voting rights is on the ballot. LGBTQ plus rights are on the ballot, a woman's right to choose. And so those are the values that voters are deciding on. And Name ID really matters. And so that Washington Post article, while like, yeah, no boy grows up hoping that he gets written up in the Washington Post for being like seeming like an idiot to two million people. I'm actually really grateful for it.
0: Do you see it as possible to separate politics and the culture wars currently? Because you said this isn't about the culture wars. This election isn't about the culture wars. This is about human rights. This is about a woman's right to choose. But I find it's increasingly difficult to disentangle both of those sets of discourse from each other. And I feel like you're kind of feeding into that with your social media presence as well.
1: Interesting. I mean, like when I go around this district, nobody's talking about a culture war. You guys cover culture wars, right? Like you are I'm dialed into it because I grew up in them <laughs> and like and you. I think the three of us skew very like aware of things like this, but it is, it's not a real, it it is not a real struggle for most Americans contending with the culture wars taking place on Twitter. I think that is a vocal minority that gets a lot of airtime because it's a vocal minority, but like, like anything, most Americans are normally distributed along this bell curve of like, there are people on the fringes who believe extreme things. And then as you move towards the middle, people, you know, start to sort of rally around things which are like generally accepted as the truth. But the irony in politics right now is that those people in the middle, that huge majority is being vetoed and overruled by this very vocal flank on the right and on the left. And I think we are part of that, frankly. Like the alt-right is absolutely part of that and they're far worse. But I think what the far left does is like make, the idea of a culture war a thing. So like, when it comes to wokeness and cancel culture and all that, like it takes two to tango. The far right did not just invent that stuff on their own. We very much like teed it up for them. And we are perpetuating that every time we talk about it. Now your question is like, well, okay, aren't you perpetuating that by talking about it? And like, I can't ignore it. If I wanna be relevant on TikTok and Twitter, I have to acknowledge some of these things. And that's just a a reality of running for office in 2022. But part of the reason I'm running is because I don't want that to be part of running for office in 2036 when my kids are coming of age. And so we need to start supporting Democratic candidates who aren't afraid to, like, get thrown in the mud and dragged by whatever bullshit is going on online right now in order to weaponize it to their own ends. And I just think that's what I'm trying to do.
2: With your campaign ads going viral, have you gotten any attention or any brands have reached out to you at all?
1: Yeah, we got a ton of attention from, as far as like brands and stuff, yeah. People on Instagram especially are like, would you and your boyfriend like to be featured on our apparel page for young gay tastemakers? And I don't really engage with that stuff, maybe I should, but I think it's a little bit gimmicky given what's at stake.
0: Our producer was curious if you'd gotten any requests or reach out from like poop cleanup brands after your poop ad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, what a missed opportunity. Like, are you kidding? This this being the face of Mr. Clean? What are we thinking? No, I did get some traction in scat kink communities, which I wasn't aware of. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh, <laughs>
0: so were you you were seeing it like reposted on like porn websites or
1: no, not by porn websites. Like basically I would get forwarded something which would get posted on like a scat king subreddit or something reddit adjacent. And then it would pick up steam on reddit and people would send it to me like they're like, BB, you're trending on like r forward slash scat king. And I love it. <laughs> it's just like, how else am I going to experience this part of like internet subculture? That makes sense.
0: We haven't actually named your opponent, I think, in this time that we've been talking, but Lauren Boebert is your opponent. And I mean, she's notorious for her willingness to like stoop remarkably low. So have you heard from her campaign at all?
1: Not directly. I have heard indirectly. They are freaked out by my campaign. And here's why I know that. I was giving a speech like a week or two after my announcement, and this was on Zoom probably a hundred people there. It was a forum type thing. So not everybody was there, whatever. It was like a hundred people. Not everybody's super tech savvy. A lot of them are using zoom just for stuff like this. And about an hour into it, we get zoom bombed with child pornography, like, like horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. And I mean, even just the five seconds it took me to like, reach forward to my computer and slam the lid shut was enough to scar me for a lifetime. And the F- the police got involved and then the FBI got involved. And like, obviously I'm not party to whatever the FBI has figured out, but that was clearly an attack against the democratic cause. And for that to happen so early in a primary cycle is unheard of because normally incumbents, be they, Democratic incumbents or Republican incumbents, they do not acknowledge primary contenders until the primary is over because it doesn't benefit them. Whereas this was such an aggressive showing of their cards in terms of like, now they realize Bobert is going to maybe be going up against somebody who can throw flames, possibly like as hard as she can. I think they're scared of that. And- For all the ways Lauren Boebert is disgusting and incendiary and uses horrifying tactics to advance mistruths, truly, I believe Democrats can do the same thing to advance the truth. And once we do that, we cancel out the only thing the GOP has going for them, which is shock value.
0: When you say the same thing, what do you mean?
1: I mean, coming to kill. Like the GOP, call them what you will, call them anarchists, call them new Jim Crow, and I call them all of those things on a daily basis. They're very good at their jobs. And right now their jobs are winning elections and they are, they are winning the information war, which is insane because they are not telling the truth. A huge part of my campaign is saying, okay, I'm a, I'm a white dude with a college degree. I'm as close to American Teflon as there is let me try this. And let me just let me try giving it to them as hard as they give it to us, because there is nothing Twitter can do to destroy my life.
2: You are also up against Saul Sandoval, who's another Democratic challenger. And a lot of the people who have been roasting you online have sort of been directing people to vote for Saul in this election. So who's sort of reaching currently the, the Democratic base more?
1: Oh, man, I don't want to trash talk a Democrat because I respect her so much like truly an incredible community organizer represents so much of what we need in congress and i'm under no illusion that what we need is more of me i think there are parts of me that are represent new and unheard voices but obviously like face value i'm a white guy all i will say about polling i am the only candidate who polls winning the primary and beating bobert and that's it i am the only one and Part of the reason I got dragged online was for implying that if you vote for a super liberal candidate in a red primary, you're basically throwing your vote away. And I get why that was like lit people up. And like, also my delivery wasn't great and I'm learning, but it is true. A candidate like that cannot win against Lauren Boebert. And at the end of the day, this isn't about picking somebody who makes you feel warm and fuzzy. It's just about getting a fascist dickhead, psycho-terrorist out of congress.
0: Were you trying to piss off progressives with that video?
1: <laughs> yeah. Personally, I'm progressive like Newsflash. I'm like a gay dude who went to college in California, but the job of our representative is to represent the district and this district is like it's like 50-50 and most of these people are pretty moderate. And so fuck yeah. Like if we could beat Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert by being a little bit more willing to ask the hard questions and like piss off an overly vocal contingent of online trolls? 100%, like, I would love to be that person. We need to wake up.
2: To the, the Washington Post piece headline, can getting dunked online win an election, do you
1: agree with that? That is the question that my campaign is asking. I would say we're asking in a different way, right? We're saying like, can being incendiary be used for a good cause? But yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of like the question du jour, do Democrats need to get in the mud? in order to fight like hell for seats like these? And I, unfortunately, I think the answer is yes.
0: I feel like with the 2020 election, a lot of the progressive candidates were sort of trying to out-progressive each other in an effort to win over people. I'll just say it, like us, like with the values that we have. And I feel like your strategy is kind of just to make people like us angry. More to the point, like regardless of the question of whether or not the blowback will help your campaign, like, do you actually want to win?
1: Yeah. This sucks, running for office sucks. And I have a good life and people who love me and a supportive partner and wonderful friends and a career. Like no part of me is doing this for like the followers. There's so many parts of being a politician I don't like, but they're all the parts that I think we should stop about politics. It's like this sort of fundraising succubus machine, the pandering to everybody in your party, trying to be everything to everyone. Like, I'm not good at some of those things, but I think that that's kind of what's ruining politics right now. But no, I mean, I'm not trying to piss people like us off. I just think I'm right.
2: Thank you so much for coming on. It was fun. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Yeah. Thank you, guys. (laughs)
2: Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where each week we crown a new hot idiot as the hottest idiot of them all, respectfully. This week, we don't have a single Himbo, which is, I mean, kind of a blessed week for us. And instead, we want to celebrate a trend that's taken over Himbo talk. If you've heard this sound, you are probably a person whose default is very horny, and I respect that. (laughs) If you haven't, that is the sound of TikTok creator Trevor Wagner cracking a watermelon with nothing but his muscular thighs. (laughs) And I've, of course, gotten that video on my For You page like every day, every time I open TikTok.
0: Do you know what, like if you heard that sound sight unseen, would you have like a Pavlovian response to it?
2: Absolutely. Thousand percent. <laughs> Thousand percent. <That's> so funny. <laughs> so I don't know how to explain it, but the concept is hot. It's just, it is. It's so hot that Trevor's video has been repeatedly duetted with users silently using the watermelon filter, indicating that they hope to have their skulls equally crushed by Trevor. So Trevor did this because a lot of his followers repeatedly asked him to. This is actually a very common and horny request from people for their favorite himbos, especially the ones who are either super swole or thick and just have generally meaty thighs. Again, I respect the requests. So when a himbo does finally attempt to crush a watermelon with their thighs, I can't say it doesn't bring (laughs) me immense joy. Mo Safari's successful attempt was another timeline favorite of mine. And the himbos are good sports, and the ones who are good sports are the best kinds of himbos. So Trevor had a great response to the thirst, kind of just really supporting people wanting to be the watermelon.
1: Oh. Oh. I see all of your duets. Oh, I've seen them all, and I just have one thing to say to you guys.
2: Hey. Okay. So congrats to our thick-thighed himbos, the backbone of our himbo nation. We salute them. You've been scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later.
0: Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop, brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, E.J. Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian Demeglio.